private equity secondaries funds that closed in the first three quarters of this year raised a record amount. Overall, secondaries made up 12% of total private equity fundraising. Welcome to Spotlight and our ongoing mini-series where Secondaries Investor dives into the latest development in the secondaries market. I'm Madeline Farman, a senior reporter with Secondaries Investor. I'm joined by Adam Lay, our senior editor. On this episode, the pair of us dug deep into the underlying fundraising data found on secondariesinvestor.com for the first three quarters of this year. Here's our conversation. All right, Maddie. So we recently published some fundraising figures for Q3 on both Private Equity International and Secondaries Investor. And there were some pretty interesting data points, weren't there? There were indeed, as always, Adam. As our story showed last month, private equity secondaries funds that closed between Q1 and Q3 this year raised a record $67.69 billion. That marks a 168% jump on the same period last year and is 46% more than the previous record of $46.44 billion raised in Q1 to Q3 2020. So a big leap there, right? I did some digging into secondaries funds that closed across the period. So not our talented RNA team, just me sort of having a surf of the numbers, if you like. And I found secondaries funds overall raised $72.95 billion in the first three quarters. So that's beyond just private equity secondaries funds. We're talking, you know, real estate secondaries, infrastructure secondaries, private debt secondaries, you know, agri secondaries, all the other asset classes, not just private equity secondaries. Absolutely. Yeah. So that is my back of the envelope look into the first three quarters. Again, that is a 26% increase on the previous 2020 record across asset classes for secondaries funds raised. However, there are some chunky fundraisers in the last quarter of 2020, which brought the secondaries fundraising grand total to $95.46 billion. So secondaries funds have to close on another $22.51 billion to reach the record by the end of the year. That's not out of the realm of possibility, but it'll be interesting to see if we do see some of those larger funds close and you know we can bridge that gap and have another record year on the tally. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. So basically, you're saying that in order to have the biggest year for secondaries fundraising on record, so beating the previous 95 rough billion figure, secondaries funds would have to, in final closes, hold another 22, almost 23 billion to make 2023 the best year for fundraising ever. I feel like that's not too tricky. I mean, if you think about some of the largest funds in market at the moment, Ardian's latest fund and Lexington Partners' latest fund. I mean, that's sort of 40 billion odd between them. If that was to close before 31st of December, and it might, it might, I mean, that would bring us above the total, wouldn't it? That would make 2023 the best fundraising year of secondaries of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I hate to be the negative Nancy over here. That's a big might. They want to stay open till Q1 2024 to get in those last commitments. But I think it shows the grand scale of what is possible for the secondaries market in the coming handful of months. That's still not too fun to take it over a record quite comfortably is quite considerable. So Adam, I know this morning you've been looking into some of the largest funds that are in market that haven't closed yet. Can you contextualize the Q1 to Q3 number for me? I mean, what can we see on the horizon for secondaries, whether it be in Q4, we could see some of these funds close or in the coming quarters to come? 
Yes, I mean, so we mentioned Ardy and Lexington Partners. They've both got huge mega funds out in market. Get the impression that they have raised the bulk of their capital, but who knows whether it'll be a Q4 or a Q1 close next year. Harbour Vest's Dover Street 11 vehicle is also in market seeking $12 billion, according to second reason investor data. Collar Capital is seeking $12 billion for its ninth flagship vehicle. Alpinvest also seeking north of $10 billion for its latest program. And you've got ICG, uh, Whitehorse, Hamilton Lane, uh, Clipwell. Way, the kind of tech-focused LP secondaries firm. And for real estate secondaries, Landmark or Aries is also in market. So there is a significant amount of capital to be raised. Whether some of this will close before the end of the year, it's hard to say. But we're looking pretty good, I think, for 2023 being a banner year for fundraising. Yeah, and there's some interesting firms in there. Let's start with Clipway, a first-time fund with some very impressive people behind it, some very impressive ideas. But they're going out in a very you know, crowded fundraising market. Uh, do you get any sense of why launch a first-time fund in the current environment? And do you get any sense of how it's coming along? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I just recently caught up with the folks from Clipway. So for any listeners who aren't familiar with them, they are a London-based LP secondaries focused firm, largely staffed and founded by ex-Ardian senior executives with some you know big name US LP executive as well, and some tech-focused staff as well, ex-Collar Capital, ex-Roxling, which is a data analytics firm. I mean, Maddie, you asked the question, how are they doing? How, why are they coming out in this difficult fundraising market? I mean, this firm was conceptual sort of before the challenging fundraising environment hit, you know, as always, you know, people are thinking about launching firms all the time and, you know, they can't necessarily be bound by day-to-day market developments. But, you know, we understand and, and we have reported on Secondaries Investor that they are seeking $4 billion for their debut fund. I mean, it's a debut fund for their strategy, but, you know, these people have been investing in secondaries for, you know, at least a decade, if not more for some of them. So it's not like these are first-time people to the secondaries market. They recently disclosed that they had sold minority stakes to two investors, General Atlantic and a French investment firm, Carmignac. So those are growth equity investments, which allows them to kind of help the firm grow. And we understand that those firms have also committed to Clipway's debut fund. And we had a story a few months ago that Clipway um, had essentially raised, you know, roughly a quarter of that $4 billion target. So it seems like for a first time fund, they're doing pretty well. It's still a tough fundraising environment for all people, including first-time and emerging managers. So we'll see how it goes. But I have a sneaking suspicion that they'll probably be all right. Mm, I'm putting my private equity international hat on for a second, just speaking with various people that used to raising billions of dollar funds. And, you know, they are on the sidelines sometimes uh, murmuring that it is very difficult. So completely get that they've got a very established team behind them. But $4 billion for a first-time fund is very ambitious. So it'll be interesting to watch. I'm sure, as you say, you know, they've got a very good track record. So it could be a success story for the secondaries market, particularly contextualized by this environment. Another couple of funds that I wanted to pick up on. Uh, so we have looked into, you know, the likes of Whitehorse Liquidity Partners and ICG was another one. They closed their funds, very quickly came back out to market to fundraise their next ones. Do you have any information on how quick it was that they came back out? That's a very good question, Maddie. So I think with uh, from memory for Whitehorse, I feel like they uh, disclosed their fund close over the summer and then 
you know, kind of officially came back to market maybe the month or two months after. It's worth saying that um, our affiliate title buyouts had reported earlier in the year in H1 that Whitehorse was planning to come back pretty quickly and was already speaking to investors. So, you know, kudos to our good colleagues at buyouts for getting ahead of that story. But it seemed like for sure that, that you know, there was a quick turnaround between holding the official close of the fund and, and launching the other one. But, you know, as with everything, these sort of dates are not necessarily sort of set in stone. You know, a fund may disclose or announce its final close when it's actually raised the bulk of the capital, you know, several months before. A fund may officially announce the launch of a fund when it's actually kind of been in pre-marketing mode for, you know, maybe six months or something like that. So there are gray areas, I think, with these dates. But I hope that answers your question in terms of Whitehorse. Um, ICG, similarly, you know, deploying pretty strongly. They have a very interesting strategy focusing really on high quality single assets, GP-led deals. There's not a lot of other firms in the same category of ICG in terms of having the firepower capital to be the lead in such large, you know, multi-hundred million dollar single asset deals. So there's a lot of deal flow that we understand goes to ICG's way. So not surprising that they are deploying, you know, pretty quickly. But yeah, that's another firm that appears to be coming back to the fundraising trail pretty, pretty quickly as well. So let's just go to a last topic of conversation for this one, shall we, Adam? Let's move on to the concept of scarcity of capital. Does the secondaries market have an issue in the sense that it is undercapitalized or, or is it not? So I know you've been looking into some very interesting numbers yourself, uh, but just to give a bit of a thought experiment that I performed again with the back of envelope notes that I was looking at earlier today. So, I mean, let's start from the top. Does Blackstone strategic partners skew the numbers from Q1 to Q3 of this year? So the top 10, excluding Blackstone's $22.2 billion strategic partners fund nine. That vehicle, by the way, was the third largest fundraising during the period across all PE strategies. And if we also take out GP-led focused strategic partners, GP Solutions Fund, uh, which closed on $2.7 billion, just $37.86 billion was raised across secondaries funds that closed from Q1 to Q3. That's quite significant if we look at the fact that $67.69 billion was raised for these secondaries funds across that time. Now, if we go a step further as well, and we remove Goldman Sachs Vintage Fund 9, which brought in $14.2 billion dollars, uh, and I'm just, by the way, replacing funds and substituting others into the top 10 here, you actually get $23.66 billion. So I, I wonder what that means for the secondaries market. We hear a lot from market participants that fundraising is undercapitalized for the amount of opportunities that are out there. Do you get the sense, Adam, that these large fundraisers skew the numbers in that manner? Uh, you know, does secondaries overall, if we discount maybe some of these larger managers have enough firepower to actually get these transactions done in a broader sense. We're not just talking about private equity here. We're talking about real estate. We're talking about infra. We're talking about credit, uh, which, you know, hasn't showcased if we take those funds out necessarily. I mean, I think that there's two questions there, Matt. It seems like you're asking me firstly, do the big mega funds in the top kind of two or three that closed in the first nine months of this year skew the fundraising figures? And the second question is about the capitalization of the secondaries market. 
On the first question, I mean, can I play devil's advocate for a second? I mean, people always say, well, if this fund didn't close and that fund didn't close, then, you know, it wouldn't be so big. But I mean, the fact remains, <laughs> the funds did close, right? They did raise this capital. And people would argue that if those funds didn't close, that the capital would be going to another vehicle. It's not like that vehicle took the bulk of capital, that if we suddenly took that away, that, that would that would leave a hole. I mean, that's slightly theoretical, I know, but I guess it's just a way of kind of looking at it in terms of... You know, I guess if these funds don't close when they do, 31st of December or 1st of January, they close on another date and then it leads on to another period and then we've got another period of fundraising to be talking about. So it's a very philosophical question. Do they skew the numbers? Yeah, I guess they skew the numbers. Um, But I guess, you know, we're dealing with set periods here. So they did close in the first nine months of this year and that's what we've got. I think that the kind of broader question about the capitalization of the secondaries market, I mean, this is something that seems to come up in a lot of conversations of late. I mean, I know you've got an interesting anecdote to talk about from a recent industry event that you attended in in New York. But I mean, to have a look at it, I mean, okay, what are we talking about by is the industry well capitalized? We've got roughly between 170 to $220 billion worth of dry powder, according to various intermediaries estimates. This is as of, you know, when we're speaking now in October 2023. If we compare that to the amount of deal volume completed in, let's say, 2022, we can kind of get a sense of what people refer to as the capital overhang ratios. So that's the amount of, you know, if fundraising was to stop tomorrow, how much capital would there be available based on the last kind of 12 months of deal volume? So if you think about if there was roughly about 100, 103 billion, according to Evercore's estimates of deal volume in 2022, and we've got around 172 to $220 billion worth of dry powder. Let's take the higher figure of $220 billion. That leads to a capital overhang ratio of 2.14x for secondaries. In other words, there's 2.14 years worth of capital to deploy. And after that, it would all be gone. Okay. So just before you kind of digest that figure, let's compare that to buyouts. So in private equity, According to Bain, there was roughly $1.1 trillion worth of dry powder for buyouts as of roughly, you know, July 2023. In 2022, the amount of deal value for buyouts was $654 billion. So that leads to a capital overhang ratio of 1.68x. In other words, there's 1.68 years worth of dry powder for buyout strategies. And after that, the capital would be gone. The dry powder would be gone. So I know this is kind of rough back of the envelope, you know, journalists scribbling kind of maths, Maddie, but people who talk about the secondaries market being undercapitalized, I mean, there is an argument to say it's got more capital on a ratio basis compared with buyouts. Well, this is actually interesting. This is where my color comes in, as you were referring to just before. So I was at an event in New York recently, and we had a buyer on stage and an advisor to one side debating exactly this topic over the heads of everyone in the audience. It seemed to get some really sort of fiery responses out of people. So maybe to play Mm. the other side for you, I think ultimately, you know, you can look at the amount of capital that has been deployed previously and how much capital has been raised and point to that overhang. But in speaking with contacts in the market, I was having a conversation only yesterday with a buyer It's not like they are actioning on every single potential opportunity that is available to them in the market. So I think the argument to we have X amount of capital overhang still to spend 
the counter argument to that is the private equity secondaries industry, the secondaries industry more broadly is only doing what they can possibly do to fulfill their obligations to their fund, to their LPs, to diversification, to vintage uh, diversification risk, for example, versus, you know, what is coming to them in the market. And that's only a small portion speaking to buyers that they are actioning on at the moment versus what they could potentially be doing. Now, I don't think we're going to expect in any way, shape or form that secondaries buyers, once they're fully capitalized to the extent that they feel like we won't be having this conversation anymore, they'll be going out and sweeping up every single potential secondaries opportunity that is available to them in the private equity market or the secondaries market more broadly. But I think the counter argument to that is they don't have enough capital to pick up everything that could be available to them in a market that is, you know, trillions in size. So I think that would be the argument that others would make to that capital Mm. overhang argument. That's a really interesting one. So you're saying that people are saying that the growth of the market is being hindered because there's not as much capital to to kind of meet the supply that's currently out there. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. I mean, It's interesting when we think about this. I mean, you and I can debate this kind of till the cows come home. But I mean, you know, you and I both went to a recent interview with a large secondaries firm in London, didn't we, where we asked the person, you know, what do they think about the current levels of capitalization in in the secondaries market? And then they said, actually, it's pretty healthy because it allows them to underwrite deals at a price that they're happy with in terms of making good returns for their investors. Because if there was more capital in the secondaries market, then obviously that would lead to increased competition and there'd be more aggressive bidding on deals. And that would naturally drive pricing up, which naturally drives returns for secondaries funds and the investors in those funds down. So their view was that current ratios are pretty healthy in terms of you know how they'd like to see it. So that's an interesting point to take into account too, I feel. It is a really interesting point, Adam. And, you know, naturally, as a journalist, you go out and test those sorts of theories with other people in the market. I've asked a few people. I think the consensus from those other people that I spoke to said that's a very interesting fundraising tactic if you're telling LP that story. So (laughs) it'll be interesting to see where the cards settle on that one. Fair enough. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Second Thoughts. As always, if you have any interesting tips for the podcast, do get in touch by sending me an email, madeline.f at pei.group. In the meantime, find all of your secondaries market news on secondariesinvestor.com. And to hear more episodes of Spotlight and our next breakdown of developments in the secondaries market, find us wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online. Thanks for tuning in.